Welcome back to the Advent Calendar House, the only holiday podcast rated three and a half stars by the Springfield Shopper. (laughs) Today we're celebrating a very special occasion. It is the 30th anniversary of the premiere of the very first episode of The Simpsons in 1989, officially titled Simpsons Roasting on an Open Fire, but dubbed on screen and in promos as The Simpsons Christmas Special. I am disowned, last-placed greyhound, and future father of a bunch of Rory Calhouns, Mike Westfall. And (laughs) joining me is a perfectly cromulent panel to discuss this formerly foxy family and current intellectual property of the Walt Disney Company. First, my unnaturally confident-sounding best friend, everything's coming up, Brandon Medley. Hey, Brandon. I'll quit it. (laughs) Hi, Mike. (laughs) Hey, that is my wife's most quoted Simpsons line, and then the rest that I come up with, she doesn't really recognize everyone, but she's gotten to a point where it's just like, is that from The Simpsons? Yup. It's definitely in my top ten. Yeah, that's, that's the one she knows. Uh, also joining us, the fire dancing Santa of the South Seas, Aaron Evans. Aloha, Aaron. Whirlwind! <laughs> and someone who's already well versed in Batman smelling, it's Joey O. Ahoy, hoy, Joey. Ahoy, hoy. I, I should try and do the, the earlier Burnsy, but I don't know if I can. That we hear in this episode. I don't know anyone can. I don't know if Harry Shearer can. I have some notes about that. Well, it's that's not Harry Shearer. That's what we're going to come back to. Oh, yeah. that's right. We okay. Have notes. Yes. Well, all right. Let's talk. Let's start with. I'm very late to get into a lot of things. I'm that guy who shows up six years later. Hey, y'all! I finished that Ready Player One book you told me I should read. Want to talk about it now again for the first time? And no one ever does. But The Simpsons is one of the very few things I experienced from the very beginning. Do any of you have memory of seeing this first promos for the Simpsons Christmas special on Fox when they first started? I didn't watch the Tracy Ullman show, but I definitely watched this the first time it aired. I've been watching the Simpsons since 30 years ago today, I guess. Yes. It was 30 years ago today. I as well. I, I know I, I know I taped this. Um, and watched it over and over again. Um, and, and I think I actually saw the Tracy Ullman show. I don't remember the Tracy Ullman show, but I remember the Simpsons shorts from the Tracy Ullman show. So I know I must have watched it because I was familiar with these characters when they started promoting the Christmas special. And I was so excited for it. Um, I had a baby sister at the time and a sister who was a couple of years older than me. And so to me, this was my family. I remember watching the trailer with my, or the commercial, <laughs> not a trailer, with my grandpa. And they showed Grandpa Simpson. And, and I was like, oh, that's you. You know, that's me. That's that's my older sister. You know, like, these were my family. I was, I was in kindergarten. I was six when this came on. And it was the talk of kindergarten the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just stoked for it. And I've been, I still watch Simpsons every week. You know, it's my favorite show ever. So I definitely also remember watching one episode accidentally of the Tracy Ullman show. I think I was sick with the chicken pox or something that had me bedridden because I just felt horribly when I was about eight years old. 
And I must have fallen asleep with the TV on, but I remember waking up that night and this Tracy Ullman comedy show is on, and I'm too tired to get up and change the channel because we didn't have remote controls in the 80s, children. At least I didn't. Uh, you tiny, tiny babies. But I'm half awake, half watching this. And then it switches to this cartoon short with a kid who gets his weird spiky yellow head stuck in a vase. And I thought, hey, that was fun. And I forgot about that for months. And then fast forward to December 1989, and I start seeing these promos. Are you tired of the same old Christmas shows? Well, so are the Simpsons. Hey, Santa, what's shaking, man? That's why America's funniest new family is starring in their very own Christmas comedy. When do we get paid? They're coming to save the holidays. Hey, little one, Santa's back. Oh, oh, no! The Simpsons Christmas special, Sunday on Fox. And I immediately recognize them. Hey, it's that kid from The Thing. Oh, I've got to watch this. So... I'm glad I'm not the only one who has a very specific memory of all of that. But I've only met a handful of other people whose history with The Simpsons go that far back. A lot of people jumped in later. I really remember the Tracy Ullman show. show, Bart is playing with one of those toys, um, those boxing things, you know, where you stand on, like, a surfboard that's got the boxing boxing punching bag on a stick. Oh, Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Playing with that in one of them because I had that toy. Oh, you did? Um, yeah, or, you know, not that. I don't know that it was a specific brand, but I had one of those. And um, I thought it was so cool to see it on TV. <laughs> like I said, I already identified heavily because the family looked like mine. You know, there was the brother, two sisters, one was a baby. Um, that was my family. So, yeah. um, And they'll show, they'll show a lot of those shorts maybe when they're doing, like, it's the 25th anniversary of Retrospect. So you've seen yeah. the one, like, where they're where Marge is singing Rockabye Baby and it points out how creepy it is. And the one that Aaron and I walk around the house saying all the time, boy, let's go out for frosty chocolate milkshakes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've got a DVD that I bought at Dragon Con years ago, like a bootleg of all of the Tracy Ullman shorts. And it's when I go back and watch them, I'm always surprised at how many there were. Cause you know, we all remember the specific ones that later got put into the series with some of those retrospective specials. Um, Oh, but yeah. I'm always also surprised at how many I do remember having seen, um, I guess, on the Tracy Ullman show. I watched a lot of primetime TV. It didn't matter how old or young you were. I watched a lot of R-rated movies, and I was like, I think my first movie was Raging Bull oh. as an infant. <laughs> so it started from there. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, if it was on, you know, if it was on TV, I probably watched it. So I'm, I'm certain I was already with the Tracy Ullman show. Yeah, I mean, I didn't grow up with cable, so we didn't have a lot of choices. And Agreed. Um, the Simpsons was always something that my whole family watched. Um, so I was always surprised when I met people later who their parents didn't allow them to watch it, or my wife wasn't allowed to watch it. She only started watching it when we got married six years ago. Wow. Um, wow. And so I'm always amazed that, like, why wouldn't you let your kids watch this? To me, especially compared to other adult animated shows that have come in later years like this seems so wholesome yeah yeah really no i i've I've known about a a lot of people my age and i I just turned 39 who who were never allowed to watch the simpsons and therefore never watched them yeah continually even in their adulthood i'm in the same boat as you guys where 
I was surprised. My whole family would sit and watch the first couple of seasons of The Simpsons together before my parents kind of lost interest. But we still watched it, and they never had a problem with it. I mean, they had a problem when my brother and I would stay up late and watch the George Carlin show. (laughs) (laughs) But Simpsons, I guess they decided was innocent enough to watch together, at least. So they were kind of, I don't want to say helicoptering, but they were monitoring what was going on with it. Uh, And I also found it strange, like much later, grown adults would say to me, you know, oh, yeah, I wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons. Huh, really? Neat. I was in fourth grade at the time. Bart is an eternal fourth grader, so I felt like it that part of the show, especially that first season where it was just Bart mania, or at least that's how they marketed it, was marketed toward my age bracket. I remember every Friday morning, because it started as a Thursday night show, and every morning mm-hmm. after in school, we immediately started, did you watch The Simpsons last night? Oh man, it was great. I had the Bartman t-shirt. Yeah, same here. I spent. Did you do the Bartman? Of course, I did the Bartman. Heathen, why ask? I spent entirely too much money on trips that were supposed to be for lunch on the Simpsons arcade game. So, oh, I love the Simpsons arcade game so much. Well, let's talk first Burger King Happy Meal toys. Oh, um, with the based around the camping episode. Oh yeah. Force myself to enjoy Butterfinger. <laughs> well, I can't enjoy okay. it anymore. They changed it. Did they? I did not remember yes. that the Butterfinger commercials apparently predated this special. Wait a minute, really? Really? Well, when I listen tonight, when I watch the special again, and then I listen to the commentary, when we see Millhouse in the special, Matt Groening says this is his first appearance in the series. Of course, he had been in the Butterfinger commercial. Whoa! So. I knew they came very early on, but according to that, and I don't know, maybe the Butterfinger commercials had just been produced first, but they hadn't, I don't know. It's made it sound like the Butterfinger commercials were airing like during the Tracy Ullman years. Wow, 1988? Um, yeah, the the Wiki Simpson says, yeah, they debuted in 88. Well, okay then. Maybe that's where people knew them from. It's just like, well, it's the Butterfinger family. If Wacky Wall Walkers can have a Christmas special, so can the Butterfinger family. <laughs> there were two Butterfinger commercials starring The Simpsons in 88, and then they started them up again in 91. Wow. Yeah, see, the 91 ones are probably the ones I mostly remember. Yeah. Like, once the characters were already very established. Yeah, like the one that vividly sticks out in my mind is the supermarket one where Bart and Homer, like, approach the aisle from opposite ends. Aha! Oh, yeah. They ran on and off until uh, 2007 was the last ones they ran, according to this Wikipedia. Wow. Well, let's talk about the production history of this first episode, which was actually the eighth episode produced, and you can tell as you go back and watch the entire first Simpson all binge it all in a row. This one was in the latter half of the production, so everything's a bit more refined compared to some other episodes later, especially the season finale, Some Enchanted Evening. That was supposed to be the series premiere, but animation issues apparently delayed it, and you can tell everyone in that episode is a lot more rubbery I'd say in hindsight a lot more classy chupoy because they worked on this first season. Yeah, yeah, Mrs. Botts, the the babysitter, she's a pretty rubbery looking character. Oh yeah. 
Uh, and fun fact, in 2014, current showrunner Al Jean listed Simpsons roasting on an open fire in the Wall Street Journal as one of his five essential episodes of the show's entire then 25-season run. So, lightning round! Anyone want to take a crack at any of the other four? Of Al Jean's favorites? Of Al... To essential. Okay, as essential ones that Al Jean says we should watch. Um, this list that I can't remember. Um, March versus the monorail. Two of them are super late, so I'm. If you yeah, can guess one. Yeah, I remember one. two of them were very late. Yeah. Um, is one of them the Eternal Simpsons of the Spotless Mind or whatever? Yes, that is not yeah. the first one I thought would be guessed. It, yeah. It's called Eternal Moonshine of the Simpson Mind. It's from 2007. Yeah. It's also a Christmas-adjacent episode because it's got it that... It was like the 500th episode or something. Or somewhere around there, like I think 450 or 451. It was one of the monument episodes that they yeah. but, promoted as... But it included a, a It's a Wonderful Life type plot device of Patty and Selma pushing Homer off a bridge. Is one of them you only move twice? No. Oh. Uh, it's none of the ones you think. One that definitely belongs on there is Homer at the bat. Okay. Of uh, course. You, Strawberry, hit a home run. <laughs> uh, the only other one from that golden age is Simpson Califragilistic Expialidocious with Sherry Bobbins. I don't like that one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, none of these are bad episodes, but they're none of them are what I would consider to be um, other than this one. Maybe. They're not 32 short. Yeah, I wouldn't call that essential. I would say Last Exit to Springfield is essential. Yeah. And March uh, versus the Monorail. Right. And, no, The, uh, the um, final one is 2010's Once Upon a Time in Springfield in which Krusty nearly marries his new sidekick, Princess Penelope, as voiced by Anne Hathaway. I remember they really bring up Anne Hathaway a lot. Like, I've heard some of the Simpsons producers talk about that that's, that was one of their favorite guest stars and all. Hmm. So That episode, like, made a big impression on the show makers. She did come back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a few times, I think. But, well, she's... In our age bracket, so I guess this is like the first kid fan who grew up with the show and is now in it, so she probably nerded out a bit. That's an odd list, Al Jean, and it's insane he's been there for the, since the first episode. He's credited on, on this one. He he's is. still there. Mm -hmm. I disagree. I know better than the showrunners. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, this episode was written by Mimi Pond and directed by David Silverman, who went on to direct a couple dozen other episodes, most recently one in January 2015 called The Man Who Came to Be Dinner, which is so close to another joke made by its two guest appearances by Kang and Kodos. Oh, uh, yeah, I remember. Okay, I remember this episode. Uh, and here's something I didn't know until researching it for this. Several scenes of this first episode and a few others from this season were laid out by early Simpsons animator Eric Stefani. He's in my notes. Who would later start some band with his sister. I learned that tonight from the commentary. <laughs> <laughs> that just blew my mind when I saw that. Matt yeah, Groening said this is leads to an internet rumor that 
he and Gwen, but Groening and Gwen Stefani were siblings. Oh, no. So he said, why? Um, because that, that was apparently an internet rumor. It's probably like, because I guess people internet. just heard that, heard that, you know, that Gwen Stefani's brother worked on the Simpsons and then it becomes Gwen Stefani's brother is Matt Groening. <laughs> yes. No. Um, the yeah, old nineties internet. That was part of, you know, the, the early lore of no doubt when they, they broke through. That her brother was in the band and left to be a full-time animator and work on The Simpsons. Oh, I thought it was the other way around. Yeah, I, I think, think he left w- The Simpsons to work with the band. No, the band was around... Well, Tragic Kingdom came out in what? 95? 94? Nice. I, think, I think he was he was part of the founding lineup of the band, but I think right. he... Because he quit the band. He quit okay. the band before Tragic Kingdom came out, but he wrote on that record. He's on yeah, that okay. record, but... Well, on the commentary, Graining and then mentioned that he was working on the show while the band is starting to break out. Oh, okay. Um, so maybe I don't know a little what the timeline beyond that is. <laughs> maybe just in their sector of California. <laughs> in the Tragic Kingdom. Yeah. There we go. And last little bit of trivia before we talk about the actual special. The original plot was supposed to be about Homer being worried that Marge would get drunk at a party and get him in trouble at work. And boy, am I glad that didn't happen, because that sounds dumb. That happened in another episode. But that, yeah, that happens later on in the first season. In the first season? Yeah. Yeah, it's the it's company, the company picnic. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm glad they didn't tr- tie it to Christmas. <laughs> You're right. There's yeah. no disgrace like home. I think is the name of that episode. Yeah, I forget. That's what leads to that. I just remember like the image of the other family like ascending the escalator to heaven, <laughs> but not the escalator to nowhere. No, <laughs> that's <laughs> well. On to the real final plot. This is the beginning of an era with and without some important firsts, and we'll get to them as we go, but. No title in the clouds, no chalkboard, no couch gags here. We're simply introduced to Homer Simpson frantically driving his wife Marge and baby daughter Maggie through the snow, desperate to not arrive too late to their older kid's school Christmas pageant, awkwardly arriving just in time for Principal Skinner to introduce the second grade's presentation of Santas of Many Lands. Which felt like um, Christmas at Epcot. Well, it felt like Christmas at every elementary school ever to me. This seems to be a common pageant theme. I remember doing it when I was in fourth grade. So actually back it up before they entered the pageant. The, um, you know, the Simpsons is one of the first shows in my mind to really, um, introduce the, you know, the sight gag that you have to pause and read the sign. Um, yes. And so they have that on the sign here. And that's the first joke in the series is a sight gag is a sign gag. Um, with the three and a half stars from the Springfield Gazette on the sign um, <laughs> before they have any of the jokes they say, um, which that always makes me think of the David Sedaris story of the critic reviewing all the Christmas pageants. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I want to know why the kids are already at the pageant, but the parents haven't arrived yet. They had to get in the costume. Yeah, but they don't seem aware of the costumes. <laughs> <laughs> Teachers, we have to do it all. Oh, that's true. It's yeah, sad. that's true. And select few parent volunteers as the husband of a teacher. Mm. And yeah, so <laughs> that's not the part that really stood out to me. But 
The part that stood out to me was Lisa's lack of pants. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. That was, yeah. She's obviously wearing a leotard. That's, that's how they retrofitted it. So, yeah, that's what Granny said on the commentary, too. Yes. <laughs> like, there is very little grass on that grass skirt. <laughs> I forget who said it later, but she was supposed to be depicted wearing a leotard. Like, it, it was supposed to be colored brown, but the animators never colored it in. So they effectively retconned it as Lisa was wearing a yellow leotard and not naked, you monsters. Lisa needs leotard. (laughs) (laughs) Battle plan. Sorry. Another stop on our international Santa tour includes Japan's Hote Osho as portrayed by a competent prototype of a boy we'd later come to know and love as Ralph Wiggum. I am Hotsuyashi, a Japanese priest who acts like Santa Claus. I have eyes in the back of my head, so children better behave when I'm nearby. We're a long, long free fall before I'm Idaho. (laughs) A competent prototype. That's the only way I can describe him. Like, that's Ralph, but that's not Ralph. Yeah, he he always almost feels more like Martin Prince than Ralph Wiggum. He does. Kind of. Or Ralph's face and hair. Yeah, he. I mean, he definitely is supposed to be Ralph Wiggum, but when I was younger, I used to think it was Martin because of the discrepancy between yeah. how Ralph was later. I guess he hadn't eaten so much paste at that point. <laughs> well, since he's supposed to be in second grade. Right. Yeah. And well, so far, he's been keeping his finger out of there. So he's not getting all those nosebleeds <laughs> and brain whatevers. But we're going to see a lot of that. A lot of this. This is that character, but it's not that character. Uh, and then, of course, we get to the fourth grade performance of Jingle Bells. Here is where we meet Bart. And, Joey, we get another chance to talk about Batman smelling. Oh, I could never get past the title. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we talked about that last season when we watched Christmas with the Joker. And I mentioned pretty much every adult I know who's younger than I am thought this song originated here in this episode of The Simpsons. But we were already familiar with this song. Is that the same case with you, Brandon? Yes. I um I sang this the like again, this is one of the reasons I like Bart, he's just like me. Um <laughs> because like I sang that song on the playground and yeah, this was not new to me. Yeah. So thankfully someone else already did the research. Some internet crowdsourcing dated Jingle Bells Batman spells back to the nineteen sixties Adam West era, and then it's sp- Bred on playgrounds worldwide, nationwide, maybe worldwide. The writers from this episode comment on thanking the internet for giving them credit for this. That <laughs> 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 they just, they said, yes. thank you, children, for giving us credit for stealing from you. And thank you, <laughs> army brat couch potato baby boomers, for inventing it. Baby boomer Santa. <laughs> Well, that brings us to the Simpson home as Marge officially introduces her family in the form of an annual Christmas letter to friends and family. Dear friends of the Simpson family, we had some sadness and some gladness this year. First, the sadness. Our little cat Snowball was unexpectedly run over and went to kitty heaven. But we bought a new little cat, Snowball too. So I guess life goes on. Speaking of life going on, Grandpa is still with us, feisty as ever. Maggie is walking by herself. Lisa got straight A's. And Bart, well, 
We love Bart. The magic of the season has touched us all. Marge, haven't you finished that stupid letter yet? Homer sends his love. Happy holidays. Marge. The Simpsons. Marge, where's the extension cord? Do any of y'all know someone who sends out letters like this apart as part of their Christmas card? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I do, but it's secondhandly. It's a friend of a friend who had lived with us for a time. And this friend of hers would send Christmas cards with this novella of what she's been up to in her young single life. And it was very specific. It was a very weird joy reading these cards every year. And I like to convince myself that we weren't being mean-spirited as we were laughing at it. Like, it was just, it gave us some kind of weird joy. But at the same time, we also kind of reacted like, oh, honey. I knew a few people who sent them that my family would get when we were growing up, but my um, wife knows this woman that she's known since she was a child um, who sends them still to, we get one every year. And this woman's children are all grown and older than us, but she updates like what her grown adult children are doing in their own lives. You know, some of them are married and have children and one of them's like single, no children. And it reminds me of the, and Bart, well, we love Bart. <laughs> <laughs> She's proud of most of her children. It's just something I wouldn't get from anyone else I know, so it was a strange anomaly between the usual, hey, look, it's our kids, and glittery manger! <laughs> I don't know. But then I remembered, hey, Marge Simpson did this. Maybe it's a boomer holdover. I don't know. I love this uh, this scene because while she's writing the letter, she's introducing each of the family members, and then we see them all doing some like kind of sight gag almost in the background as she talks about them. Even when she talks about Grandpa, you know, there's the picture of Grandpa hanging up behind him. Um, yes, it's really it's a really effective way of introducing everyone really yes. quick. Yes, well written intro and. Here is where Marge collects her kids' Christmas lists from Santa, with Lisa's being a pony written five times. It's a lot of ponies, Lisa. (laughs) Which she won't get this year, because according to Marge, Santa can't fit a pony in his sleigh. First off, that's not accurate. And spoiler alert, Lisa will eventually get her pony in about two seasons, but that's another (laughs) podcast. And I really want a pony! She's the happiest girl in the world! (laughs) Lisa is my favorite Simpsons character, and this is one of the aspects of her character that's really prevalent in the first ten seasons, probably. Um, But you see it in this episode with both her obsession with the happy little elves and um, the wanting the pony. And that's like, you know, she's very smart and she's very precocious, but she's still a little girl. Yes. And, you know, over the seasons, we, we veer a little too strongly towards the smart, precocious part. And we forget the little girl part. But I like when it's still the balance. Yes. Bart was my favorite as a kid. Lisa is my favorite as an adult. At least going back and watching these first decade or so of episodes. For that very reason. And I had a note later on. It's just like, I like that they remember that she's an eight-year-old girl. Yeah. Once we get to know the characters more as the series went on, me being the middle child, I started to really relate to Lisa a lot more. Speaking of Bart, he wants a tattoo, only be told by his old man if he wants one, he'll have to pay for it out of his own allowance. Cool! <laughs> the phone rings, and it's Marge's sister, Patty. Marge, please. <laughs> Marge, please. 
<laughs> it says before we start recording, but yeah, we watched this episode a couple hours ago, and ever since we just going around, Marge, Marge, please. It's Marge there. We saw this episode a couple weeks ago on TV, <laughs> and ever since then, I've been going, Is Marge there? Marge, please. Because <laughs> they're much more like mumblier than later, later in the series. Yeah. They are, yeah. But yeah, Julie Kavner's direction for this when doing those voices was to take every ounce of joy and optimism and hope out of everything she said. There we go. <laughs> but it's nice yeah. that we immediately establish via landline that tension and hatred between Homer and his sisters in law. <laughs> <sighs> Okay. Her sister. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next we get to the scene of Homer turning on the outdoor Christmas lights with underwhelming results. And in my memory, I had pegged this as borrowing from and being sort of the opposite of the same scene from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation until I realized they both came out the same year. We had the yeah. exact same conversation while and, we were watching it. Oh, good. There's a lot of similarity. I mean, the... The kind of plot devices, not just that scene, but then the whole plot device of not getting the Christmas bonus. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about oh, these yeah. are a lot alike, and then they would have both been out at the same time. They're separated by only three weeks, less than that. That's impossible to have cheated. <laughs> Certainly, no Simpsons writers came from the world of National Lampoon. No. That <laughs> was like every boomer in their 30s has the same memory of Christmas, basically. In hindsight, Having, I don't know why, but it's all, I'm sure it's Joey's fault, but I have seen Jingle All the Way, I want to say like three times a year for the past seven, eight years. And, and I know that Flanders wasn't really um, that integral a, a character in this particular episode, but my goodness, he reminds me so much of Phil Hartman as the neighbor. Angel all the way. <laughs> Howard. Yeah, or the Phil Hartman as the neighbor in Small Soldiers. Oh, what like a pull. <laughs> yes, this is very much an early draft of Ned Flanders. Hey, hey, Simpson. What is it, Flanders? Oh, uh, do you think this looks okay? <laughs> we'll get into more of that later, but... No outdoor display on Evergreen Terrace would be complete without a little neighborly one-upsmanship by Flanders. Stupid sexy Flanders. Yeah. Well, this is basic model Ned here. It's still very he much Flanders. Or sexy yet. No, he's neither yeah. stupid nor sexy. <laughs> Nan- Flanders' personality is different, but his look is nailed down already on oh, a lot yeah. of the other characters. But he, I would think that such, you know... Later, he wouldn't have had anything to do with that much Santa on his house. No. <laughs> and like I said, I, I have a comment on that when we catch up with Flanders a little later. But for now, is calling your next door neighbor by their last name a weird TV trope? Did your parents do that? Mine didn't. Mine did not. No. Just that guy over the fence, uh, Wilson. <laughs> the next door neighbors growing up were my grandparents, so no, we didn't do that. <laughs> Dad! My, mine are my godparents, so. Well, there you go. <laughs> All right, well, we cut to getting ready to go shopping with the Christmas savings jar secretly stored in the depths of Marge hair, so there's that first joke. That's very uncomfortable to keep a heavy glass jar of money balanced on your head 
at all times. Is it? Well, yeah, she has such great posture. Is it balanced directly on her head though? It felt like it was a little farther up. So uncomfortable. There's a lot of hairspray in there. There's a yeah. Um, well, is impenetrable. Her hair's by Frank Lloyd Wright, so there's a lot of structural integrity to it. Well, there's, you know, there's a comment about The Simpsons often that they get much more cartoony, and they were as they go on, and that it was it was so realistic and grounded in the early seasons. But watching this, it's like she just pulled a jar of money out of her hair. Right, it's still a cartoon world for sure. We immediately follow Bart browsing the samples of the Happy Sailor Tattoo Parlor. As he convinces himself, Mom couldn't possibly not love a heart tattoo with Mother written on it, right? So he confidently walks in and tells the proprietor, who asks his age, that he's 21, sir. Just get in the chair. Get in the chair. (laughs) So, because everyone in Springfield needs a name and backstory afterward, like everyone in Star Wars does, this tattoo artist is retroactively identified as Mervyn Monroe, the younger brother... Of the psychiatrist, Dr. Marvin Monroe. I thought they were very similar. R.I.P. Dr. Marvin Monroe. Uh, I wonder if I wonder if Mervin's still alive. But that character was never beloved. Oh. <laughs> Meanwhile, we drop in on Homer at the Springfield nuclear power plant, complete with our first crow's call. <laughs> Did not think we'd get one, but there it is, as we hear but do not see Smithers over the loudspeaker. We don't quite see dark-skinned Smithers yet. (laughs) Followed by Mr. Burns himself. And who's doing his voice? For you semi-skilled workers, there will be no Christmas bonuses. And one more thing. (laughs) Merry Christmas! Well, here's the thing. Okay, so Chris Lotta, of course, best known as the beloved voice of Starscream and Cobra Commander. My dear Cobra Commander. Um, I knew he was originally cast as Moe. But I thought he was overdubbed by Hank Azaria. The Simpsons Wikipedia says he was the voice of Burns in this episode, Homer's Odyssey, and the Telltale Heart. But he's not in the credits of those episodes. Hmm. He's definitely not in the credits of this because I didn't see his name. No. no. But I saw so, that on the wiki, like you were saying. Yeah, I thought he was a voice that they they recast. But I didn't think he was actually in this episode. I thought that was just an early version of Harry Shearer's Burnsy. They, he might have recorded lines, and then, yeah, you're right, they might have just overdubbed them. It, it's it's yeah. hard to tell. Either way, this is a much more sinister-sounding Burns, which is hard to believe. Maybe yeah, it's when it first aired, and they, like, redubbed them later. Maybe it was only, like, the first or second airing or something. Could be. To me, it just sounded like the Smithers voice down a notch. Uh, yeah, you're not wrong there. Hmm. At any rate, Burns announces there will be no Christmas bonuses this year for the, quote, unskilled workers, including Homer, who thanks God for Marge's big jar of savings, which are about to be blown after Marge yanks Bart out of the tattoo parlor with his unfinished work of art, which simply reads Moth. And and feel free to conduct an image search of Simpson's Moth tattoo for some real-life replicas of this. With some other bonuses mixed in, including one that I saw of stupid, sexy Flanders in his snowsuit. I've seen ones of that before. Mm -hmm. But a lot of moth ones. (laughs) I thought you'd like it. (laughs) What about a Starland vocal band tattoo? Yeah, probably. They suck. (laughs) 
Well, as mentioned, the Christmas savings are now spent removing Bart's tattoo at the dermatology clinic of the delightfully named Dr. Zitzofsky. Oh. <laughs> he has a giant Bond villain laser. He does! <laughs> that would 100% I did not appreciate that that was a reference to Goldfinger as a nine-year-old, but that one was for the grown-ups. It's not a reference to Hank Scorpio? I mean, six of one. <laughs> And we're back at home, and here's our Al Quidditch moment. <laughs> My favorite part is when Maggie joins in. Yes. And then his Al Quidditch is a little bit softer. Yeah. And then Homer comes in and, like, what's this? Al Quidditch. <laughs> well, if The Simpsons has taught me anything, it's don't lie to your loved ones. And here's the first of many, many examples of Homer deciding to cover up the truth about not getting a Christmas bonus, thinking he can still save the day. Everything will be fine. I feel like there's at least one of these in every season. One instance of this happening. We get it. Tell the truth. This year's Aladdin remake. Look, children, don't do this. Don't do what Donnie don't does. But no, Homer takes it upon himself to do the Christmas shopping in Marge's stead, and we're off to the Circus of Values to pick up for Marge pantyhose, practical and alluring, pads of paper for Bart, and a squeaky pork chop chew toy for Maggie. It says it's for dogs, but she can't read. I feel like it might have been my son who actually wanted one. No, it was my daughter. It was my it was my middle girl. She's got this. It's a pink corgi. That squeaks like a dog toy, but we will not oh. give to our in-laws' dog. That is so sweet yes. and so sad. <laughs> Every time I look at squeaky toys for dogs, I look to see if they have a pork chop like this. <laughs> and they never do. Outside, he runs into Flanders in a more obvious version of the classic, Oh no, our packages are mixed up. But thankfully, we have young Todd Flanders to help Homer... And hand him the pork chop. And okay, it's season one. Here's your pork chop. Yeah, here's another instance of everyone sounds differently from the refined versions of themselves we're familiar with today. But this is a very different Todd. Hey, Mr. Simpson, you dropped your pork chop. Hear me that. This is basically the same voice they used for Proto-Ralph from earlier. (laughs) Right now, everyone's just a filler kid. Secondly, here's when I could really tell that this is clearly an early draft of Ned as well, because he says, Happy Holidays! No! But also, it was 1989, and no one was upset about Happy Holidays. Yeah, (laughs) very true. But like how we were just like, Whoa, man! Next, we cut to Moe's Tavern, where the elite meet to drink, but Homer's alone with his sorrow. Quickly, I don't know if y'all caught this, but the version of Santa Baby playing in the background of the tavern is specifically the one by Madonna. What's the matter, Homer? Somebody leave a lump of coal in your stocking? You've been sitting there sucking on a beer all day long. So? I didn't even notice that there was a Santa Baby playing. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> I saw it on, like, wiki notes, and as I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, that, yeah. I don't know how they snuck that in there, but uh-huh. there you go. Madonna's technically the first celebrity to be in a Simpsons episode. <laughs> I was focused on the booths and Moe's and how they look very different from what we see later. <laughs> I was focused on the fact that they had little holiday cards on them, and I'm like, who's sending cards to Moe's bar? 
Yeah, I guess this is before he's ready to commit suicide, so or try to commit suicide so often. <laughs> Mo is much more beloved. See, that's why he's so cranky later on. No one sending him Christmas cards. But Homer finds hope in the form of Barney. Season one, blonde hair, the same as his skin, till they decided it didn't look right. Barney, who's as cheerful as ever, thanks to his gig as a mall Santa, which is what Homer decides to try and earn some shopping money. And we enter the world of mall Santa training with our teacher. And what would you like, little boy? You're not really a Santa, Tubby. Why, you little... No, no, Homer! Who's an unnamed character, but we do see him in a much later episode. Does anyone recognize him? He's, is he the psychiatrist? Yes, he's, well, the hypnotist. The commentary said we never saw him again. He's a hypnotist. He's the one who irreversibly renders Roger Clemens into thinking he's a chicken. Oh, yes! yes. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> I really recognize him. I'm like, why is there a psychiatrist in this episode? Like, telling them how to say, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> the multi-talented guy. <laughs> I like whenever Homer is interviewing for this job and they ask him, do you like children? He says, all the time, even when they're nuts. <laughs> I mean, yes, congratulations. <laughs> uh, which remind me of one of my favorite Homer lines and uh, that I, as an elementary school teacher, refer to often. Um, from It's an episode where Homer is interviewing to be a prison guard at a juvenile detention center or something like that. I can't remember the name of the episode. And he says... Um, I believe that children are future unless we stop them now. (laughs) (laughs) And we see Homer practicing the names of the reindeer, which includes the flubs of Nixon and Donna Dixon. Mrs. Dan Aykroyd. Yes, well, that's another reference I didn't get as a nine-year-old. Yeah, I knew Donna Dixon was then. I knew Donna Dixon from, um, from Bosom Buddies. See, I didn't know Donna Dixon by name until Wayne's World, as, oh. <laughs> as Garth's dream woman from whom he imagines dancing to Foxy Lady. <laughs> well, Homer arrives home late and is ready to crash, except Patty and Selma are here to make uh, the lack of a Christmas tree an issue. Brandon, was it you who had that amazing story of chopping down your own live tree? Yes. Okay. <laughs> In the Masters of the Universe episode, we talked about that. Okay. <laughs> Go back to that one, y'all. Um. <laughs> but, okay, well, Homer gets back out alone and trying to find a tree he can afford and gradually passing cheaper and cheaper lots and unfortunately driving right past a lot of trees marked slightly irregular. Y'all, I want one of those. <laughs> they look like, like Dr. Seuss. Yes, I said they look straight out of Whoville. Yeah. I want a <laughs> that terrifies tree. me. No, I want were a warped Christmas tree. Tre- were Christmas trees really this expensive in 1989? Because I thought these prices sounded really high for now. I mean, I use an artificial tree. I, can't, I don't know what real pr- like real trees cost, but $75 in 1989 seemed really expensive for a Christmas tree, I thought. Well, a lot more people <laughs> wanted a live tree then, I guess. I don't know. No, that sounds ridiculous. I think. I remember going and cutting them out, and they were like twenty bucks. I think that sounds about right. Um, I think in my twenties at home, the last time we got a live tree, it was like it was like sixty, seventy-five dollars, and it was small. Oh wow! Huh. Well, there you go. Well, Homer agrees, and so he decides to chainsaw a tree from a private farm and barely escapes gunshots and released hounds to bring it home. (laughs) 
birdhouse and all. But he got a free ornament. He got a free <laughs> ornament. Do I smell the, the only ornament they have at the end of the episode. Oh, that's right. Well, can't disturb the birds. <laughs> and we cut to Christmas Eve at the mall where Santa Homer is happily greeting kids and using them as a form of therapy. And getting their donuts. And, and eating their donuts. I'll feel better when Mrs. Claus's sisters get out of town. Thanks for listening, kid. Might be my dark horse for favorite line of this episode. <laughs> Just the addition of thanks for listening, kid. <laughs> How many mall Santas do you think have used their jobs as therapy? I don't want to know. Well, more than we'd expect, I imagine. <laughs> child left saying i hope you feel better soon santa yeah it's really sad <laughs> meanwhile from upstairs we see bart and his friends including millhouse get a load of that quote unquote santa and how weird is it to hear millhouse say get a load of that quote unquote santa <laughs> <laughs> like his voice is pretty dead on but that's hashtag not my millhouse <laughs> it's the most self-confident thing he's probably ever said but okay on that note it's Bart Milhouse and Lewis all in fourth grade all around that age where they're guffawing at their grown up knowledge of Santa's little secret but did any of y'all make this big of a deal about Santa Claus after growing out of him let's say for, for, for TV purposes sure <laughs> I don't remember ever going back to the mall and being like, <laughs> about a mall Santa as an older kid. No, I was also never in a mall by myself at that age, so. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah good point. I just didn't go to the mall. <laughs> <laughs> or anywhere you would see a Santa like that, but. I do remember one poor girl in my fourth grade class Someone in class said something about, you know, Santa's not real, and she burst into tears, and I remember her face, I remember her full name, and 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 I feel really bad, because that would have been Bart's age. Right. My mom, whenever I found out, because like I said earlier, I had a younger sister, and she still believed in Santa, and like I had the fear of not getting any presents put in me if I spoiled that for her. Yeah. Mm. Um, <laughs> But I, I teach kids who are around that age of not of kind of figuring it out. And so I have had kids come to blows in my class before arguing Ooh. over the existence of Santa Claus. Oh. But it was one single girl. One. That's got to be rough. My oldest is nine when this episode airs. So I'm, that, that time's coming short. <laughs> But she's a good kid. She'll take care of, of things, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we we got to figure it out, I think. I don't know. But we'll just say, all right, you're in on it. You get to help now. Uh-huh. To be the deputies of Santa Claus, like in the Life and Adventure of Santa's. Yeah, well, exactly, right? Well, my first Christmas as a dad, it was just Christmas Eve. I realized, oh, my goodness, I'm Santa Claus now. This is the <laughs> best. You didn't even have to push him off the roof. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I've heard of a, a lot of people taking that, you know, I don't mean to get into actual real life, but, but <laughs> a lot of parents taking that route, like when the oldest kid comes to that age, be like, you know, listen, you're old enough, you're mature enough, I can trust you with this, and you're, you're like the guardian of this secret, and you get to help. 
Okay. Well, that makes me feel better that it. <laughs> so, but again, when I was a kid, I was like, whatever. Everyone involved is having a good time. But no, Bart dares Milhouse to sit on Santa's lap. Milhouse doubles back, double daring Bart to yank off Santa's beard, and Bart agrees to take the physical challenge. He jumps in line, and here we get the immortal quote. Well, I'm Bart Simpson. Who the hell are you? <laughs> I'm Charlie Old Saint Nick. The question that shocked the nation, outraging parents, <laughs> and opening the minds of countless kids, including nine-year-old me. I remember even when every kid in my class tried their hand at the Bart Simpson impression, this line came with an extended, Who the fuck are you? Despite <laughs> not getting censored on TV, but... We all knew better, I guess. I don't know. You're a bunch of damn hell-ass kings. <laughs> <laughs> so Bart yanks the beard, prompting our first official annoyed grunt, as it appears in print. I'm Charlie Old St. Nick. Oh, yeah? We'll just see about that. I do like how, how the still shot, the black and white for some reason, photos of Santa with the children, says Merry Christmas different. Like, the one of him eating the child's donut said Mary, like, Mary Melody. is like M-E-R-R-I-E. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, and this one said Mary straightforward with a Y. <laughs> this feels like, like the uh, Mega Touch game. You have to figure out, like, what's different about the two pictures. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> one of these things is not like the other. That woman's dress is slightly longer. <laughs> and if I remember correctly, this was like a device they would use at the end of the the Tracy Ullman shorts a lot of like freeze framing and it turning into a photo. Oh, really? To get out of the scene. There you go. Um, a bit bit of a hold over there. Were they black and white too? I don't remember. Maybe I don't know. Well, Homer quickly escorts a shocked Bart in the Santa's workshop, explaining his secret that he didn't get a bonus. Bart actually feels sorry for his old man, admitting, you must really love us to sink so low. This is one of those scenes where, you know, Bart, especially in those early years from people like Dan Quayle and all, got so much grief for being this hellion, but he's underneath, he's a pretty sweet kid. Like, he's, like, if he was so, such a bad kid, he wouldn't be that worried about his dad not getting his bonus. And, like, he's, this is a really sweet scene with Bart and Homer, I think. Yeah, I've always been on the side of Bart has a good heart and he just doesn't apply himself. Yeah, underachiever and proud of it. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> I had that shirt, too. He had a soul. He lost it for a bit, but he has a soul. He got it back. <laughs> yeah, that's one of my favorites. <laughs> There's a lot of straight-ahead Bart in this scene. Like um, like him looking directly into the camera. Yeah, we always talk about how like once in a while when they the animation turns the Simpsons straight toward the camera, it can look kind of freaky. It is jarring. Like, like earlier, like, earlier when when um when Marge like turns the jar upside down, was like, oh, thank goodness for your bonus. She's so straight ahead and stiff, and her shoulders are so sloped. Like I don't watch Bob's Burgers, but I've seen enough commercials that that's what it looks like <laughs> to me. <laughs> it was very freakish. I can't solve this animation technique, can you? <laughs> but alas, Homer's paycheck for his work as jolly old St. Nick is a mere $13. And here, friends, was my first lesson in gross pay versus net pay. <laughs> yeah, but when she goes over that stuff, he should have gotten his Christmas club portion in that check. Like, 
what are they holding it for? It's Christmas. That's true. That was the best part of the joke, so it's 13 that started as $120. That's right, $120 gross. Less Social Security, less yes. unemployment insurance, but less Santa training, Santa less training. costume purchase, Wait a less minute. beard rental, less Christmas but, club. But. See you next year. Oh. <laughs> as informed to him by the unnamed mall clerk, who's also Nancy Cartwright in a too similar to Bart to ignore voice. Yeah, I was like, hey, it's Bart. <laughs> it's episode one, they get better. <laughs> But in comes Barney again to suggest Homer come with him to Springfield Downs to bet on a dog race on Christmas Eve, ensuring him a win on Whirlwind! Whirlwind! (laughs) I love that Barney is, like, a big dog racing aficionado. Like, you can't picture, you know, season eight Barney being one who knows all the names of the dogs and has researched them in advance to go there. (laughs) This scene also has my favorite line of the episode where Bart gives his monologue about if TV has taught me anything, it's that miracles always happen to poor kids at Christmas. Happened to Tiny Tim, happened to Charlie Brown, happened to the Smurfs, and it can happen to us. (laughs) Who's Tiny Tim? (laughs) Well, Homer apparently tells Marge he's taking Bart caroling, leaving the rest of the family, including Patty, Selma, and now Grandpa... To watch the Happy Little Elves Christmas special with the two girls. Unadulterated pap. (laughs) (laughs) This is my favorite Lisa moment because exactly what you were saying earlier. She is a child. She's so invested in this cartoon. And then either Patty or Selma, I completely forget at this point. It is Patty. Um, She knocks knocks Homer and then Lisa gives a soliloquy about, about being... Um, being offended by proxy because you know that's that's her father figure, her her you know model of manhood, her model of manhood. <laughs> um, and any knock at him is a knock at me, and I am far too young to defend myself. <laughs> but, <laughs> go back okay, and watch, go watch your cartoon, cartoon dear. <laughs> <laughs> watch your cartoon, dear. Also, the happy little elves kind of faded from memory a few seasons later. They haven't referenced them, and yeah, because they no, had they- them on a lot, you know, because when the babysitter banda comes, they're watching the happy little elves. And, um, well, in, in a much more recent episode, um, Homer had to go, like, just out of love for Maggie, the fact that she didn't have a complete happy little elf family from this, like, kids meal promo. Oh, he yeah. kept going back and buying all the meals, and there still wasn't that last happy little elf to make Maggie happy. Sounds like my mom frantically looking for baby Kermit on a skateboard from McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, or my mom trying to get out of the land before time pizza have puppets during her lunch. <laughs> you know what they should do? They, they should they should somehow um, connect things and we found the Elfo with the Elf. Oh. <laughs> I'm Elfo. Yeah, I don't know. But this was before I don't, I don't know if this was before or after Lisa developed the fondness for Itchy and Scratchy. But we still have that childlike innocence of her, like, cheering happily as the happy little elves get their delightful Christmas ending. It happened to the happy little elves, and it's going to happen to us! Yes! (laughs) Meanwhile, back at the dog track, a last-minute replacement is announced for the next race in the form of a dog named Santa's Little Helper. It's a coincidence, Dad. (laughs) (laughs) A.K.A. Santos L. Halper. (laughs) <laughs> That's Pam's husband, but uh, 
Thank you. But with some persuasion to let him follow his heart, Homer puts down all $13 on Santa's little helper, who proceeds to lose so poorly, we get a great awkward pause between, I don't want to leave till the dog finishes. <laughs> I don't want to leave till our dog finishes. Ah, forget it. Let's go. Yeah, this is like the best two or three seconds. That might be the second greatest comically long pause involving Santa's little helper in the series' entire run. <laughs> right after the first being in two dozen and one Greyhounds, as his lady dog friend, she's the fastest, is giving birth, and the family's counting puppies 23, 24, and just a hilarious 10 second pause filled with shock faces. 25! Of course, Barney's pick, Whirlwood! <laughs> One, and he drives off with a lady named Daria. Daria. Yeah. Let's go, Daria. <laughs> and there's so much trash in this parking lot, and on the commentary, Matt Green says that was like one of his directions was he just wanted this show filled with trash everywhere. And Have you like ever been to a racetrack? Where they really nailed it. <laughs> That's what parking lots, if I remember correctly, I remember like my junior prom was at the Garden State Racetrack. And, oh my god! Yeah, oh my gosh. yeah, we were classy. I used to drive past that former land uh, every day for work. And oh now yeah, it's, there's like a shopping center there. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Hey, all right. Uh, well, Homer and Bart are desperately scouring the parking lot for any winning ticket stubs, and that's when we see Santa's little helper's owner abandoning him. And this was a new fact to me as someone who has not indulged much in the joys of DVD commentary. So y'all probably know this, but apparently the creators received thank you letters for raising awareness of racing dog abandonment. Yeah. They were... And they just said they were writing themselves out of, like, out of the scene, like, trying to solve their their plot issue, and they it was not... And, intention of theirs to raise this kind of awareness but they got lots of thanks and kudos for it yeah they were just unaware that it was a very real very common problem so there you go some proof to your parents that the simpsons has done some good for the world from day one he's a loser he's pathetic he's a simpson That's how my dad was, too. He'd constantly say, I don't want a dog. I don't want a dog. Then one day, they come home with two. Congo and Purdy. Well, (laughs) Samson and Delilah in my case. Rest in peace, Samson. Wait, is Delilah still alive? Delilah is still alive. How old is Delilah? Uh, Well, this was 2006. Is the okay, last I thought you were time. telling a story from your no, childhood. No, 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 no. <laughs> oh, dear. So, but still, that's, I mean, 12, 13, she's getting up there. Yeah, that's but, still an old dog, but not, yeah. Hanging but, in there. <laughs> Good old Lila. Hey there, Delilah. Homer arrives home <laughs> and starts to sadly confess that he didn't get a Christmas bonus, nor any gifts for anyone, but... Oh, this ought to be <laughs> but before he can finish, Bart interrupts and brings in the dog, and everyone is instantly overcome with joy. And Bart helpfully adds, and if he runs away, he'll be easy to catch. <laughs> that's a good that's a good joke. There's a scene here um, where it's like, I'd never noticed it before tonight, that whenever the kids are all hugging the dog and Homer and Marge are watching, and it, um, it's right before Homer says that his name is number eight. 
Um, <laughs> the whole background behind Homer and Marge is backwards, is upside down. Oh, is like, it? You'll notice it in the picture of Bart on the wall that it's upside down, but then you can see the top of the lamp hanging down from the top of the TV screen. Um, and then Boy, it cuts back to the kids, and when it cuts wonder. back, it's it's flipped again. And that's why this show never got off the ground. <laughs> but I love how Marge is just overjoyed that Homer brought love into their house and makes for their best Christmas ever. Especially looking at future Simpsons Christmases. There are some bad ones a few years down the road involving house fires and shoplifting. and Gary Coleman. And <laughs> Muppets. And Katy Perry. Yeah, that was a terrible one. <laughs> Yeah, that was. <laughs> and we end with the entire family singing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer as the credits roll. And okay, I mentioned I knew about Jingle Bell's Batman smells before this episode. I did not know about the Peanut Gallery additions to Rudolph before watching this. What? I feel like I knew that. This was the first time I ever heard, like a light bulb. You I, I did, but I, I was not familiar with their version. Yeah. I mean, Bart there was a few changes, like the like Attila the Hun. That was not in the versions <laughs> I knew. No. Um, they, like, Simpsonized it up a little bit, but... Schnozola instead of Pinocchio. Uh, Rudolph, get your nose over here so you can guide my slate. Strip poker instead of Monopoly. <laughs> but all those additions, like, I was just about to comment on it's interesting that nobody ever tries to give The Simpsons credit for that. Yeah. Because um, I did for a while. And for a while, for some reason, I just hated that peanut gallery version. It just <laughs> grind. That's <laughs> the only version I ever sang as a kid. Now, I mean, I think the whole Rudolph song kind of annoys me now, but. Um, but I definitely don't care for the additions. No. Um, they grind my gears. Sorry, wrong show. <laughs> no, it really grinds my gears. <laughs> Any final thoughts on this episode or on The Simpsons in general on their 30th birthday? Uh, one, I was curious how many characters make their first appearance. I guess not counting Butterfinger. So the internet told me, would you like to know? Do it. Um, Seymour Skinner. Millhouse, sort of. Uh, Sherry and Terry, although I guess they're just in the background. Moe, Mr. Burns, Barney, Patty and Selma, Ned and Todd Flanders, obviously Sam's little helper in Snowball 2, Mr. Largo, and Lewis. That's a solid 15. Mm-hmm. Well done. Also, uh, something else, going back to the credits and seeing Eric Stefani in there. Another thing I had to keep an eye out for, because it's one of the you know through lines of this series... Apparently, Frank Welker, not the voice of Sam's Little Helper in his first appearance. Oh. Obviously, he was later. <laughs> yes, when it was you Aaron. need a dog to bark, you get Frank Welker. <laughs> <laughs> and the cat didn't make any noise, so conveniently. I think my um, final thoughts on this episode, like I said, The Simpsons is, I don't know if I'd say my number one favorite TV show, because I'm not sure I can ever make that claim, but it's it's a favorite TV show, and it's peak comfort TV for me. Oh, yeah. um, I still watch every new episode. I watch the Simpsons World app all the time. I have all the DVDs. Like, you know, it's just 
it makes me feel good to watch The Simpsons. But in this episode, we've talked a lot about how characters, either appearances or voices or mannerisms, isn't quite nailed down yet and is very fluid and fluctuating. But at the same time, I'm always impressed with how much is there right from the beginning. Um, Yes. Whether it's the characters, the settings, the town, just the tone. Like, it's not like a lot of, especially sitcoms, where you watch the pilot and you feel like you're watching a completely different show <laughs> um, than what it will later become. I mean, yeah, you can see it's it's rougher, but it's still, it's it feels like The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. Well said. Yeah. Well, if people want to yank off your fake beard in front of a crowd of innocent children, where can they find you, Aaron? Um, Twitter. Ms. Aaron M. Evans. And Joey? Uh, on Twitter at I'm gonna DJ 24 and of course at whynotradio.net. And Brandon? I'm on Twitter at brandmed, B R A N D M E D, and on Instagram at blessedarethegeek. And as usual, you can find show notes at adventcalendar.house and on Twitter at adventcalhouse. Friends, thank you so much for joining me today. I've been waiting to do this one for a while, and I'm so happy y'all were part of it. Buy me Bone Stormer, go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> so, for Aaron, Joey, and Brandon, live, brightly lit, and robotically ho ho hoing from the Flanders rooftop, oh, oh, oh. this is Mike Westfall saying, please watch out for the icy patch. Okay, kids, let's all go out for frosty chocolate milkshakes. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> The Advent Calendar House is part of the Christmas Podcast Network, located conveniently at christmaspodcastnetwork.com. Do you love fun? Do you love movies? Do you love TV shows? Do you love informative entertainment? But most of all, do do you you love love Christmas? Christmas? Then look no further, because we've got you covered. It's a 90s Christmas podcast is all about the most joyful and triumphant holiday in all its media. But only as far as the 90s are concerned. That's right. Our show not only is about the cheeriest time of the year, but also the cheesiest decade in world history. If that isn't an ideal combination, I don't know what is. Every week we will cover a movie, two sitcom episodes, and a Christmas special, as long as it came out between 1990 and 2002. You can find us on iTunes, Podomatic.com, Stitcher.com, and Spotify. I am Lyle Perez from America. I am Lasse Vogt from Germany. And It's a 90s Christmas Podcast, offering perspectives from two different parts of the world, is waiting for you. Have fun, and no matter where you are or when you listen to this, a a very very Merry Christmas. Christmas! Next time on the Advent Calendar House... There's one Christmas story you can only see on Nickelodeon. In a strange place where trees talk, spiders sing, and flies are spies, Debbie's favorite doll comes alive. I'm not a dolly anymore! And she tries to keep Debbie from bringing Christmas to Tattertown. It must be Santa! Close, but no cigar! Can Christmas be saved? Watch Christmas in Tattertown.